Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 138 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And in this episode, as we said when we switched over to a new format, we're strictly talking about Liverpool, Manchester United, but also a special uh, Topic 3, which, um, as you can tell, will be the World Cup. Um, obviously, the World Cup draw happened last week or like last Thursday, so probably been about four or five days now and i'm sure everyone has seen the groups and kind of heard the reactions but uh, we wanted to basically talk about it because it's going to be a big tournament not going to be happening this summer but over the winter break because it's in qatar this year but still the world cup hype is there it's going to be a really fun tournament big players big moments we're looking forward to it but to get things started uh, we have topic one which is liverpool on uh, tyler's team they are pretty much on a roll right now um they Recently, very, very, for like a short time, for about three hours or so before Man City played on Saturday, they actually went on top of the Premier League. Um, but obviously, City overtook them because they played their game in hand and now are two points above Liverpool. So the title race is coming down the wire. They meet this weekend. Uh, I believe it's a Saturday or Sunday. They meet. I think it's a Sunday. They meet. Mm-hmm, Sunday. And it's pretty much going to be game of the season. It's almost the Super Bowl of the Premier League because whoever wins this game will most likely walk walk away as Premier League title winners. You know, things could change. Things could, like, you know, anything could come up. But especially if someone loses, it's kind of like a, a big blow to the uh, Premier League title title race. But um, overall, Tyler, like, Liverpool's been rolling. They have been. And it's been such a close title race between at least these two teams throughout the whole season. Like, the other two, Chelsea, Man U, both kind of dropped off from that four-horse title race that we kind of anticipated at the beginning of the season. Yeah for kind of various reasons, but Man City and Liverpool, once again, at pole positions. Right now, it's just one point difference on the table between the two. And their goal difference is also just five goals difference. And Liverpool actually have the advantage with five goals difference more. So right now, this basically, as you said, would determine who probably would get the Premier League title because assuming both teams went out the rest of the season, which is basically what it's looking like to be. Yeah. If Man City tie this or win, then basically Man City will get the title. And if Liverpool beats Man City at the Etihad, then it's looking good for Liverpool. Then in the driver's seat. And historically, based on like our old podcast seasons, usually Liverpool are the, the hunters in this kind of situation. It's always Man City on top and first and then Liverpool chasing. Yeah. And then... The season, I think Liverpool were in first for a good chunk of it. Man City caught up and like overlapped them because usually they're not on top. Usually it's Liverpool weren't really used to that kind of position. And Man City under Pep Guardiola have always just been like <laughs> the Centurions, like the team that just is the team to beat. Yeah. And I feel like Liverpool are in a pole position to be basically on the track to leapfrog them because I feel like they're better as the Hunters. Like they, I feel like it's less pressure for them. And... This team also is just doing a little bit better in terms of like just form. Because even if you just watch like the latest games, like Liverpool, they're basically on an on an undefeated streak. So are Man City at a point, but I just feel like based on the Champions League games in particular, like Man City only beat Atletico Madrid one 0 yeah. and then Liverpool came through with a three one win against Benfica, which is pretty strong. And they also played like a pretty different team as opposed to like the past weekend. So like the rotation and the substitutions are coming through. So both teams are looking strong. Both teams have basically almost like their full squads ready to go. 
So it's like, there's no like significant injuries. There's no kind of excuses for this one. It's just yeah. who is going to be in form. And I feel like Liverpool have that slight advantage, especially with Luis Diaz turning yeah. up recently. The big He kind of adds a different dynamic maker. to the whole team. Mm-hmm. And even yesterday, or I guess we're recording right now, it's the Wednesday. So it was um, yesterday. Leading up to. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yesterday, Tuesday. He scored. When Liverpool faced Benfica. Yeah. Luis Diaz scored and got an assist. Yeah. And on top of that, Liverpool subbed off Mane and Salah in the game and so done Diogo Jota and Firmino and I was thinking I was like man they actually are in a position where they can sub off the two star players yeah. and reload with two players if not at least right below like kind of star power if that makes sense yeah so I feel like Liverpool this is probably one of the strongest teams going into this kind of big rivalry for the past several seasons yeah so it's gonna be big as you just mentioned it's like kind of like a Super Bowl and it's going to be like the first Super Bowl, several Super Bowls at this point, because Liverpool are in track to face Man City in multiple competitions leading up for like the next several weeks, assuming they win out in the other competitions like the FA Cup, Champions League. So, yeah, throw, we'll throw back to that. It, it was the, um, I believe it was the 2018 19 season or 17 18 season where Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, we're in the Champions League semifinals and they had to face each other in the Premier League. So it was like back to back to back to back games of like those three of those two teams. Um, mm-hmm. And I think obviously Liverpool came out on top on Champions League, but then the Premier League kind of ended in a, like a, a stall, like a, uh, what was it? A stall. It, it just kind of stalled out because they were just, both teams were just gearing for the Champions League. But obviously the stakes are different where both teams are gunning for both, like all three of those titles. So it's just like kind of up in the air what's going to happen. I did see on uh, their Benfica game, that was the first game that in the midfield, at least uh, Fabinho, Thiago, and Naby Keita all started together. And um, at least my coworker was a Liverpool fan. He was really excited about that because that was the, apparently he said from Liverpool fans, as a Liverpool fan himself, he said that that's kind of been the dream midfield that every Liverpool fan has been hoping for ever since they signed Thiago is to get all three of those guys together because I guess you have Fabinho, the holder, and then Naby Keita and Thiago, like the creators. Um, and it's pretty shocking that that's the first game all three of them have actually started in the midfield. Um, but because it just kind of shows that, yeah, Keita's been out injury riddled, Thiago's been injury riddled. And then like the mishap of last season where Fabinho was playing center back most of the time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's crazy. I think like Liverpool and Manchester City specifically, both teams are kind of going into the tail end of the season with no injuries, all players in top form. And are now in a position, like you said, where they can just kind of tinker with lineups a little bit to get more rest out of players, especially during the ending of the season where a lot of players tend to get tired and burn out a bit. Yeah. And this is where the managers will kind of make their money because now they got options. It's like, all right, what's the best option for this? Yeah. And I feel like Liverpool typically, you know, they stick to the high Gengen press against Pep Guardiola and Pep Guardiola. I don't want to jinx it, but he usually kind of struggles (laughs) against the Gengen press because his style is very pass oriented. It, like players have less time to pass. It's kind of like in NFL or like college football. When like the quarterback has less time to throw, they kind of tend to make more mistakes. Yeah. So when players have less time to pass, they tend to give an arid pass or kind of do a lot of more turnovers than expected. So that's kind of what's going on with this kind of matchup. And it's just been going on for the past several seasons. And we've always kind of seen kind of bigger kind of score lines as well. So that's something to look forward to. But I will say, Yush, there is one distraction, I would say, that's kind of notable for this game. (laughs) And it's the Sala contract kind of fiasco that's going on. So 
Mo Salah, he's not, he's not even the top paid salaried player, or I guess waged player at Liverpool. It's actually Van Dyke. Oh. And he's probably at least top five players in the world right now, but he's not getting that top five money. Yeah. And I, that's kind of one of the biggest discussions. His contract expires in 2023. And Liverpool have kind of been on on top of him to make sure that they get a new contract to him. And they're trying to get him in the ballpark from what the rumors say. I don't want to be like a rumor mill here, <laughs> but it's trying to get him into that top five mark or at least the top 10 most paid players mark. Yeah. And he wants to stay. It's just because yeah, I was just also wants- thinking is like, where else would he go? There's not really any other team that's in a pole position to go for a quadruple like this. And... Yeah, I think it's just more about, um, at least for me, I feel like it's one of those where the player wants to say, but it's kind of the 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 money aspect of it. It's more, I feel like it's more of like a respect thing or Salah wants to feel like, okay, if I'm putting up these numbers, I feel like I should just be getting paid this X amount of money. And that's usually where you'll have the problems with like the agent and the players because sometimes the player may have the demand of like, I want to stay, but then the agent's also like, okay, like we want to, we want you to stay, like like we want you to stay as well, but we also, you have to meet our demands is the type of player you're getting. You need to make sure like you're paying him that's worthy of that type of player that you're getting. Um, but I did see a report today that apparently, uh, I think when Salah did call for like a Stallworth, I think it was maybe a week ago or two two weeks ago where it kind of like the contract negotiations kind of stalled just because they were they weren't reaching it wasn't anything that Salah was like oh I'm gonna leave it's more of just like they weren't reaching anything so they decided to cool it off a bit um I think Salah hasn't really scored or assisted that many goals since then uh, so apparently there was a report that Salah is like open to I guess having a slight reduction to the amount he was looking for um to make sure like they get all this contract situation settled but it is interesting that um, this is the one player that they're having trouble kind of re-signing because over the past summer and then the last summer, they actually spent a good good amount of time tying down all their cornerstone pieces for like a while. And I know over the summer, I think it was like Fabinho, Henderson, Van Dyke, Robertson, mm-hmm. all kind of got more like extensions to their deals. So they're there to like 2026, 2027 and so forth. Uh, but it is very interesting that Salah kind of being like the golden boy of like this Klopp regime at Liverpool or the crop crop reign at Liverpool hasn't been given the new contract as soon as some of these other players. It's very, very interesting how like he's kind of been like the last one to kind of get settled. I think it's just because he's probably the most important player on the team statistically as well. Because if you look at just like his goal ratio, like so far this season, he's played 38 games and he's the most, he has the most minutes for an outfield player that plays like forward. Um, and then, like, Mane is right behind him. But, yeah. like, Salah literally has a goal or an assist per game. Yeah. And that the second closest player statistically to him, it's, like, Diogo Jota. And Diogo Jota has 20 goals and two assists. So, it's uh, it's going to be hard for Liverpool to even replace him if they have to eventually, if, like, they're forced to sell him. So, if anything, they should be kind of working their butts off to try to get the contract. But also, at the same time, they can't put a contract that kind of upsets everyone else. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, if you see, like, the one player is getting paid two times more than, like, the second highest paid player, then that might cause some distress in the dressing room. So, maybe they're avoiding that. Maybe just getting a contract to him that's, like, not too, too high, but yeah. also keeps, like, the, the locker room in check. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time... Maybe that's why Luis Diaz came in on top of just being kind of further squad depth. 
he might be a player that's kind of more long-term. It's like, all right, if anything happens, we need someone that can play in Salah's place. And Luis Diaz is looking like it. But statistically right now, too, Luis Diaz, he's not putting up the same numbers as Salah. Like, Salah, he has 28 goals, 10 assists. Luis Diaz in 13 matches so far for Liverpool has three goals and one assist, which seems a lot lower than we kind of thought. Like, I feel like the hype for Luis Diaz is so high that you would think like, it's like, oh, it probably would be more. But no, it's right now just three goals at one assist. And that one assist was a header assist to Mane yesterday yeah, in, against Benfica. So I think uh, he'll improve over time. Like he literally just joined given like three and a half months ago at this point. Yeah. So I think it'll improve. But I mean, for Salah, he's literally yeah, but I think, an irre- irreplaceable player. Yeah, but I, I think the, the, the good thing Liverpool have is that they have a system a really good solid system and foundation setup where when they do bring in players, they're not asked, those players are not asked to be world-class from day one or even reach that status. Like maybe Luis Diaz, he's brought in, maybe he doesn't reach, He may, maybe he never gets close to Sadio Mane or Mo, Mo Salah levels of consistency, but he could just be there to be like a Diva Carigi where he kind of is like a pinch hitter where he comes in, provides his value, maybe not consistent, but he provides value when it's needed. Um, but I, I think, you know, Liverpool do a really good job of that. And so do Man City. And so all, all the other top teams in Europe, they kind of have a system and set, set up where just because you buy a player doesn't mean they have to be the next version of like a legend coming in. You know, they don't have to be the next Henri or the next, you know, whoever. They can just kind of be the next him. And just even if they end up being kind of like a, a so-so player, they can still contribute. I, I know you say it before with like Naby Keita, I'm, I'm Obviously, his career has kind of been riddled with injuries, but when Liverpool bottom, everyone thought like, oh man, this guy could be like, you know, up there with, you know, top five, top three midfielders in the world. But obviously he's not reached that level, but it doesn't mean he hasn't provided type of that type of value for Liverpool. When it came to like Wijnaldum, when he was at Liverpool, he wasn't, you know, putting up numbers, putting up big numbers, but he was a very key player to that midfield and keeping them ticking. Um, So I think that's, the cool thing about Liverpool or that very like very important thing about the way their squad is set up that even players uh, before the hand like Shakiri um, and other attackers so forth like Minamino um, like players like Minamino and Luis Diaz they kind of come in provide the value and they're not asked to be hey you have to be like the next you know the next world-class winger you just have to come in do your job and then let the other guys give those other guys a rest so that they can go back and do like the world-class stuff that they always do consistently. Yeah, it sounds like they were kind of like role players right now. Yeah. Kind of like in basketball. It's like, all right, we have this one player specifically for this. Yeah, and sometimes like the at the end of the day, like the role players are the ones that win you titles because, you know, your starters can't play 24-7 all the time. So you need those role players to come in and provide the value that you signed them for. And I think when you look at the best teams or the teams that win championships or wins the, win a ton of trophies, they have role players that can come in and provide a very – specific good value back to the team and i think that's why they end up winning trophies is because they can rely on those players to do the job that they've been asked to do it's true i will say luis diaz's role right now kind of high he, he's playing a lot more minutes than i expected he's getting a lot more starts but i mean we'll see we'll see how it goes from here on because it's still a little too early to tell what he's what he's up to but Klopp does have a lot of trust in him and We'll see how it goes, but I'm I'm excited for what's to come. What's to come for the weekend? It's a big game 
next week we'll see if I'm sad or happy (laughs) going into it. But I mean, it will just, yeah, we'll just see (laughs) this big title deciding game. What happens in the Premier League and whether Liverpool keep their quadruple dreams alive. Yeah, I mean, but for Liverpool, I I would say even if they, I mean, it's tough. I think for for Liverpool, like they have the EFL Cup and I'm sure they're gunning for the FA Cup. But I'm pretty sure like every Liverpool one fan like would love a quadruple, but they want at least one of the two, either the Premier League or Champions League to be, I guess, fully satisfied with the season. I think. I'll agree. Yeah. Because like the way the squad is set up and like the way they've been going at it all season, it's kind of set up to like, okay, win one, win one of the two. And then we'll see from there what happens. Because they got close to winning two that one season where they won the Champions League, but they fell just a little bit short at the end. Um, and it was, mm-hmm. oddly enough, it was the game against Manchester City that ended up ca- like costing them the title that season, uh, which was a well, tough one. But yeah, it's just, it's the margins. It's the margins between Man City and Liverpool. They've set the standard for what the what the Premier League should be. And uh, they're, the, mm-hmm. the, they're the only two teams that can continuously put up the fight each and every game to do it. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But well, moving on to topic two, we have Manchester United. Not really much to talk about within the game. I think the season has just kind of fallen flat for them. And they're like seven, eight games left. There's no trophy to play for. I mean, there's chances for a top four, but top four hopes are kind of slim. Um, so really, it's just kind of you're kind of in the, like the mid table, like seventh, sixth, fifth place, just kind of floating around there. So not really much to play for for, for, the, for the rest of the season. So the games will kind of look a bit flat and a bit meh. But the bigger news that has been coming out is today, actually, there were the news of Eric Ten Hag being the new manager has been heating up uh, for Manchester United. Um, what's been going on is that the there was a report today or a lot of news outlets, a lot of verified journalists have been saying that they, uh, United, are preparing an offer for Eric Ten Hag to be their next manager. And Ajax, um, sources like within Ajax say that they believe Eric Ten Hag will be the new manager as well. And they were basically made that decision after having a really good like interview with Aaron, Eric Ten Hag, where he essentially laid out a five-year plan. Um, and this is what Ten Hag kind of like the reports are is that Ten Hag came in with the five-year plan of like, okay, what United need to do to get back to the top level of the European game. And it was a five-year plan of basically, you know, kind of working on player fitness levels, making sure like the players' fitness levels are back to standards of like the Liverpool, the Manchester cities, the big teams in Europe, but also laying out a foundation of, of youth training, getting the right players in that fit the system and kind of following a set philosophy and not just trying to go for star power or bandages to kind of cover up cracks. And it was like United, um, the board were, were left pretty impressed. And I think what's been interesting, I think the overall vibe I would say for most United fans is that they are excited But it's also, I think a lot of them, a lot of United fans are relieved, I would say, because they know with Ten Hag, it's not a Zinedine Zidane or like it's not a flashy manager where you're getting like, oh my gosh, we just got a five-time, ex-five-time, you know, UEFA Champions League winning coach. Like we're we're back, like we're going to like challenge from day one. I think United fans are just relieved that, okay, we brought in Ralph Ranjik to kind of come in interim, be a consultancy role after this potentially looking like 90% sure that they're bringing in Eric Ten Hag to kind of be the next manager and just kind of developing. And I think they're just, as a United fan myself, I'm just relieved that they're kind of taking a long-term, very systemic approach to just getting back to being a good football team consistently. And I think that's been the overall vibe with United fans, I feel like, where it's just been 
not necessarily a big buzz of like, oh my gosh, we're going to start challenging for top four and challenging for titles from day one next season. It's more like, okay, it's going to be a bit painful and it's going to be a bit hard for first couple months, maybe the first season, but the rewards, the potential reward of like the tough seasons now will be far greater than like the pain we feel now. So I think that's just been the excitement for United fans. It's kind of like, okay, we're, we're starting the project again, but we feel like now everything is kind of coming in place where the project actually makes sense to go forward with. If you get what I'm saying, mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's the one thing I'm kind of wondering though, is we've seen a particular IX manager kind of go from IX to other Premier League teams and like, you know, like Crystal Palace or even in Syria, Inter Milan, like Frank DeBoer. And he was very strict on having that IX kind of foundation be brought over to the teams he plays and kind of playing that style. But the thing about IX is just, I think we mentioned this before, it's they're very used to playing a certain style just because all their academy products are kind of taught this style. And then yeah. once they go up to the first team, it's kind of just like, all right, we got this Lego piece, just kind of fits in the same puzzle, the same kind of Lego build the same kind of instructions, boom. It kind of just slots in kind of perfectly. Mm-hmm. But with Manchester United, they don't really have like a set foundation yet. Like that's something they're still trying to find. And I know with like the classic, like class of 92 from like, you know, Manchester United back in the days, they had like this kind of structure already in place. And once they all kind of came up with Sir Alex Ferguson, then it's also like, all right, it's all kind of meshing together kind of perfectly. But now do you think Ten Hong is going to kind of bring in that kind of IX kind of form or do you think he's going to find or like IX kind of blueprint or is he going to see what's at Manchester United right now? Maybe looking through the academy, seeing what kind of coaches are there and then yeah. kind of building from there. Yeah, I don't no, know. You can probably answer that. It's just something it's, it's, it's like a, a thought I had. Yeah, it's a tough question to answer, but I think it's obviously he's a he's a smart coach. Like he, there's a reason he's been pretty successful at um, at IX is because he knows what he's doing. Um, I think from all the reports I'm seeing is that he wants to bring like he wants to obviously play his style and he wants to bring like his coaches in to kind of help implement that style. But there's also um, a lot of really talented players at Manchester United's Academy. Like there's there's a reason so many talented players come from there, but. Um, I think the one thing we'll see with Ten Hag, hopefully, is that we'll see a lot of those players start to get more and more chances and to kind of like have that ability to showcase themselves. Because I think um, under Solskjaer, yeah, they got it a little bit. Um, Ranić, he's been able to elevate some. But I think having a a manager and just a full-on plan coming in, it will really help like the, the academy out and also help like the first team out because then you'll have a clear set process of like, okay, when do academy players start to come in like a process of just getting them all in and getting them all into this, the style of play that they want to play. Um, and in terms of like what he'll do, I think it will be a mixture. I think the first season will definitely be challenging because obviously you can't just do a fire self, like the entire squad. That's just not possible. Like no matter what team you look for, they just can't go out and sell every single player on their squad. So it's going to be a mixture, but I wouldn't be surprised I know when Pep Guardiola came to Manchester City, the biggest question mark was that, can he play his tiki-taka possession-based football in the Premier League? And I remember pretty much 90% of every pundit, every fan or anybody you would talk to, they were like, no, you know, he can't do it. And the first season showed, um, a lot of people showed like uh, Pep Guardiola's first season where I believe he finished third. Um, He struggled Mm -hmm. a lot that season. I remember Claudio Bravo was his starting keeper. 
he, they had trouble implementing that possession-based football. Claudio Bravo was a mistake-prone player. Um, they got rid of Joe Hart. A lot of fans were upset that they got rid of like a club legend like Joe Hart. There were you know fights between him and Aguero, like whether Aguero would be like the type of striker he wants. Phasing out like players like Yaya Torre, other players that were like, kind of old and aging. And then eventually, obviously, a huge war chest, but he was able to start buying players that fit the mold that he was trying to do. So like Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, Ruben Diaz, um, Laporte, uh, Kyle Walker, Zinchenko, like players that fit the mold that he's trying to basically perform. And obviously Manchester United, they have a ton of money and I'm sure like they're not just trying to like spend a ton of money like that again, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ten Hag starts eyeing players. Like there's already been reports that he's trying to bring some of the players he's developed at Ajax over to Manchester United, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know we start buying some lower key players like the stuff like Liverpool did when you know Sadio Mane wasn't exactly a household name when they purchased him, they bought some lower key players like Wijnaldum got relegated with Newcastle, so they went in and swooped him, got him. I wouldn't be surprised if they start making, hopefully, start making some signings of that nature where they're not, I would say, players that will start selling you jerseys from day one, but they're players that fit the system. Or they have qualities that will fit the system Ten Hag is trying to build and basically allow those players to develop under him. So that that way, in a couple of years time, they're the best at what they do in that system. If you kind of get what I'm saying there. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to that whole kind of theme of Man City where could you actually bring Tiki Taka to the Premier League, but also have it be successful in the Premier League? And you're seeing right now it's yeah, you definitely can. Even in the Champions League yesterday. You saw Atletico Madrid versus Manchester City. And I, yeah. I forgot who wrote, who put this tweet out. So apologies to who, who tweeted this. This is a pundit somewhere. But he said, if you were to look back oh, at this. Oh, that was Gary game, Lineker. Like, yeah, Gary Lineker, like 10 yeah. years ago. And you looked at the team in red. You looked at the team in blue. You would think the blue team played in Spain. Yeah. And the red team was in England. Exactly. And that kind of goes to show that you can bring that kind of style or any kind of style from different leagues and different kind of foundations to the Premier League in particular. Yeah. So the IX kind of foundation, like it could happen. It's just, it definitely needs the time and the right players. But, and we kind of saw the experiment kind of fail at Crystal Palace. But I mean, I think that's also just Frank <laughs> DeBoer is not very good. And yeah, I, I think Frank DeBoer has shown that he's just not a very like top class manager. <laughs> um, and, you I, know, unfortunately, think, sometimes that happens. I think there, are, I, I will say there has been like this kind of, there has been, like like I said, there's been optimism from United fans, but also there are other United fans that I wouldn't say are like overly optimistic, but they're not pessimistic. They're kind of like in the middle of like, okay, you know, not really too sure in terms of like the ceiling of what could happen, but also it, it's kind of like they're 50-50. They don't know, okay, you know, they don't know what could happen. They, they're like, they're like you, you know, the argument that Ten Hag is still unproven is very valid because obviously he's just kind of been in the IX system, but... Um, there's also that possibility that, you know, Ten Hag could kind of be like that gem of like that next generation of like a great coach that's going to kind of be like the leading frontier. But, you know, he could also be where he kind of falls flat and just doesn't end up kind of fulfilling that potential of being a great manager. Um, So, you know, in a sense, Mm -hmm. United are taking a risk, but I'd rather them take this risk than just trying to get like a washed up coach that is kind of been like a has been like, you know, no offense, but like, like, I, <laughs> yeah, or like, I, no offense. I wouldn't want like a, like a Carlo, like, you know, obviously Ancelotti's at Real Madrid, but I feel like he's, his success has primarily been down to like 
him having a really good player such as Karim Benzema and just having really good squad there. But I, I wouldn't want them to kind of go that route where they kind of get like a manager that's already been there and done that because they've tried to with Louis Van Hall, Jose Mourinho. Unfortunately, just getting managers that are past their prime isn't going to get Manchester United back. I feel like they need to take this risk of kind of taking um, someone that has proven themselves in Ajax, knows what they're doing football in a football sense, and just kind of going from there and just seeing what will happen because they've tried everything else. It's failed. Now it's time to just really give this a shot and see what happens. And yeah, that's what I was literally thinking too. Is like they already tried having a good manager with Jose Mourinho and also yeah, Louis Van Hall, but... There's also not that many good managers out there that's just yeah. on the market that you can just pry away to. Like, you know, the top managers right now, you got Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, uh, Thomas Tuchel. They're all kind of settled in. They're all they all got their own projects already and on their own team. So it's basically, I think this is a good move. And, and you've seen this kind of experiment working right now of Arsenal with Mikel Arteta, but definitely just take a few seasons. Yeah, and even so Barcelona, be, which Xavi. I mean, Xavi, like a lot oh, of people... That's, yeah, a lot That's of people great- said that they, um, you know, when he was at Al Sa- Sa- Saeed, um, everyone was like, you know, yeah, it's Xavi, he's a legend, but like, are you sure you really want him to be leading the Barcelona project again? Because Barcelona at that point were basically in the gutter. They were at the worst they could be under a Koeman. I mean, they were, I think they were seventh in La Liga. They were basically going to get knocked out of the Champions League. Um, Luke de Jong was starting a striker for them. They had like no cohesion in play. Like everything looked awful. And then all of a sudden Xavi comes in and the club is just did a complete 180. Like players are playing at their absolute peaks again. PK, Jordi Alba, Busquets are all playing like they're in their mid-20s again. Um, Ter Stegen has found form. All their young players, Pedri has been a godsend for them. Aubameyang has found form. And even players like Usman Dembele, who looked like he was out to dry at Barcelona, has now basically been one of the best players in Europe at, at his age, um, just with like the uh, rise of Xavi there. So it just goes to show that um, if you have a good coach, no matter how inexperienced they could be, if you have someone that actually has the right mindset and can actually implement those ideas to a football club, anything could happen. And, you know, I don't know if Ten Hag is going to be as good as Xavi, who knows, but it's, it, that's the part that gets me excited. Cause it's, it's kind of the unknown that, that's, that's the exciting part for me at least. Yeah. It's kind of like a low risk kind of high reward kind of situation almost where it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. It could go wrong, but also you have that slight chance or it could be like Barcelona kind of make them exciting again. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we even had like Phil Shane on the pod. I remember like a couple years ago and we asked him, it was like, what happens if Messi leaves Barcelona? He's like, you got to pray. Yeah. And right now I'm like watching Barcelona again and seeing it's exciting and seeing like that old style of, you know, shabby ball is back. Yeah. And it's seeing little snippets of it through like Pedri, through Ferran Torres, like Adama Torre, like all those players are now at Barcelona and they're doing really well. They're all, all the way back to like second place now. They just beat Sevilla. And this could be a whole episode in itself, but it's just, I mean, it's good kind of, I don't want to say vibes. It's not the right word. It's good. It's good omen, I guess. Yeah. I don't know omen's also the right yeah, word. I would either, say good vibes are back. Like the vibes are, yeah. are back like again at Barcelona. And I think what's also been important is that Xavi has also been backed by the board. Like Xavi mm-hmm. went out and picked, hey, I want Aubameyang, I want Adama Traore, I want Ferran Torres, I want, you know, this specific type of player, and I want them, can you go out and get them for us? And 
the Barca board basically agreed. They agreed with Xavi. And I think um, I hopefully with Raniak being a consistent consultancy role and with Ten Hag, I just hope the board can just get a line where they just trust the vision that Ten Hag and kind of uh, Raniak have where they want where they want the squad to be and just buy those players, even if those players may not jump off the board or they may be a little bit questionable. If the manager has a vision for it, you got to trust it because at the end of the day, the manager is the one that's managing the players. It's not the board, you know? Mm-hmm. So And yeah, basically it's just, you've seen other teams find that success with this kind of structure and this kind of move in this kind of direction. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why not man you? Why not man you try? Because right now, what else could they do? Yeah. <laughs> kind of sit in seventh. So it's like, you got to try something different. Yeah. It's not, there's not much, there's not much you can do at this point, but I'm looking forward to next season. Cause I think it's, it's just going to be really exciting to see. Like I, I'm genuinely excited. I think um, if Ten Hag does come in, I think, you know, it, it'll just be really exciting to see what, what, what Manchester United would get and like what, like how we play, what we do. It, it It's just it's time for something fresh and like a, a new thing, you know, and you've, a new idea, a new system coming in, but um, yeah, yeah. But that's essentially what's been going on at Manchester United. the The coaching rumor rumor mill has been heating up. Looks like Ten Hag is going to be the manager, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of been what's going on with Manchester United. But as we mentioned um, in the beginning of the episode, topic three, um, which we wanted to center around the World Cup this time, because as we mentioned. Uh, five days ago, I would say, or last week, the World Cup draws came through. And obviously, we got um, kind of all the groups laid out on who's going to face who um, in the group stage of the World Cup. The biggest one, well, I, I wouldn't say like biggest one, but the one that pertains to us because we are in living in the United States is Group B, which is a pretty interesting group because it has England, Iran, United States, and the winner of the UEFA playoff, which could either be Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. So generally speaking... It's not the easiest of groups, but it's definitely a group that the United States, if they do their job, they could basically finish second or first. I think England obviously is the biggest favorite to finish first there. Like they have such a good squad and have been doing really well in the past two major tournaments in Europe or obviously the World Cup 2018, Euros 2020. They've done a really good job. But I would say United States, if they just get their, if they just do their job um, and do it well, they should be able to get out of this group at second place. I mean, the expectation is kind of low right now, US. They didn't even make it in the World Cup last time. So it's just like, they're just happy to be here. But they also... But they, they do have we, a... I will say that, but I, I will also say like they... The whole reason they were able to get back is because they've been grooming like this younger, more vibrant mm-hmm. squad. And they have players that have potential of being really good. Like Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Eunice Munsa, uh, Serginho Dest. Um, you know, the goalkeeper like Matt Turner, Zach Steffen. I mean, they have players, Miles Robinson for Atlanta United. They have players that um, are showcasing Tyler Adams. Like there's the list can go on. They have players that are showing a lot of potential. And um, I think on their day, they can do some damage to some good teams. Mm-hmm. And I will say too, it's just, it's like since the failure to qualify in the last World Cup, this is that changing of the guard where it's, it has been that youth team but I wouldn't say this is also their first big test either because, like, they kind of proven in certain competitions already, like the Congaf, like, Gold Cup and the League Cup. Like, yeah, I, they I did, forgot what... They, they, won they the, have so uh, many random competitions. Yeah, now. like, they won, the, they won the Nations League um, back in mm-hmm. May where they beat Mexico. Um, and then they also won the Gold Cup um, with their... Kind of like their B squad, but there were still some players that are kind of contributing with the U.S. men's national team that won that Gold Cup squad against Mexico. Um 
like you said, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying is tough. It's it's a difficult kind of like region to be like qualifying for World Cups. They've been in there. Um, but this one is a really big one because obviously since they missed out in 2018, this is like the first chance for a lot of, for pretty much all of these players to be playing in their first World Cup. So it's going to be a big mm-hmm. learning experience. But I think it's really important because when you have a big tournament like this to get experience in, like there's, you just never know what could happen. And I think the with the expectations kind of being low and with them already having some cohesion from getting those kind of cup wins already, I think this is a good... I think if they can get out of the group, that would be a good goal, I would say, for this U.S. men's national team side because the World Cup in 2026, it comes to the U.S. It comes yeah. to the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. So I feel like that'd be a really good time to really go for like a big run. I, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> winning the World Cup in. as the U.S. I don't know about that, but like if they can get pretty far on the knockout stage in 2026 i mean that'd be like the biggest goal but like i mean this this year i feel like it's definitely about kind of getting that experience getting you know those big games in like against england getting a win maybe against if wales gets in i'm kind of i'm kind of scared because they would face a wales bail and wales bail is a different kind of bail (laughs) because that's when he kind of takes off like the golf outfit gets on the field is like all right he's He's legit bail. Yeah. It'll, <laughs> it's it'll, not like Real Madrid bail. No, it'll definitely be tough if Wales do make it out there. Um, but whoever makes out of the UEFA playoff is going to be like a, a decent match. Because like each team mm-hmm. kind of has like, you know, some star players there. But Wales definitely with Gareth Bale would be like a difficult kind of team to play. But um, yeah, I would say overall, like their group isn't the worst in the world. But it's also like, I wouldn't say the easiest. It's kind of in the middle of the pack. Um, but what, what yeah. is pretty cool about this group is that England and USA will play each other the day after Thanksgiving. So, um, um, you know, obviously in America, like on Thanksgiving day, like NFL football rolls King. So it's going to be very funny to know that that day on Thanksgiving day, everyone's watching football and eating Thanksgiving food. And the next day, everyone's still eating Thanksgiving food as leftovers, but they're watching, going to be cheering on like USA and the USA versus England matchup. And it's just hilarious that it's versus England too. Like it, it just, yeah, it's just a funny, funny kind of matchup and just a funny, uh, way like that the, that game is the day after Thanksgiving. I wonder when the timing is for the airing of that because yeah, so you know, all, Qatar I believe is- all the uh, all the games for at least for the U.S. all U.S. men's national team games for the World Cup will be kicking off. I believe the latest I think is two thirty Eastern Standard Time, and the earliest is like eleven oh. or eleven thirty. So um, we got oh, like, really oh. yeah yeah we got a really good like draw. I know like West Coast will be a little bit difficult, but eleven thirty Eastern Time isn't the worst. West Coast. I think it's what, like uh, 8? Yeah, 8 a.m. Yeah. That's better than Premier League scheduling. Jeez. Yeah, luckily U.S. isn't isn't kicking off at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so that would have just been brutal for West Coast. That's even better than Russia. Yeah. Because, like, there's games that were kicking off at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, the Russia. I was like... Yeah, Russia Russia was definitely very difficult. That was a -hmm. a difficult World Cup to watch. I thought Qatar would have been worse, but... Here we are. But yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of some cheese, this kind of World Cup in general, just playing in <laughs> the winter itself. But I mean, there's a few other questions. It's a little too early to kind of anticipate who the winners are and who's going to be like breakout stars to kind of note things like that. But I mean, if we were going to do a way too early prediction, yes, based on like kind of World Cup rankings and kind of what you've seen right now, assuming like no one gets injured and if the world cup just played like tomorrow, who would you say are is in contention to be like a winner? Who's uh, like the I, ones to kind of start looking at? 
if I had to pick a winner, I, I would say probably, I think Argentina is probably a good shout. Not just because of Messi, but they have been on a roll. I think they're, they have the longest unbeaten streak in international play, but um, basically for, for all, you know, competitions. Um, they Obviously, they won Copa America, but they've just been a pretty strong, solid unit. Um, you know, this isn't like the old Argentina, of, you know, 2014 or 2018. I think they have a very good system set up where they have solid defense, solid goalkeepers, solid midfielders. They kind of have just an overall good balance of the squad um, compared to maybe in 2010 or 2014 where they had a plethora of attackers to choose from. I will say it, it will be difficult because um, Di Maria will not be in this World Cup. He retired from uh, international play with Argentina last week. So Di Maria is a big miss because he does kind of show up for Argentina. Uh, he He's a big game player for them. But obviously they still have Messi. Um, they still have the likes of Lautaro Martinez, um, who is at Inter, who's been kind of like showing up for Argentina. They have like Paulo Dybala. They, they still have good attackers and good midfielders all over the place. So I think Argentina, you know, think they're a solid squad and they're, they're hungry. They, they want to continue proving that they're a really good squad. And I think on their day, they can beat anyone. I, I was going to say the same team. <laughs> We're going to have the same answer, Argentina. Yeah. I'm a big Messi fan too. And I want him to win a World Cup. But also just, just statistically too, yeah, I think you said they haven't lost a game. And I'm forgetting the year. I think they haven't lost since like 2019 or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's probably right. Ridiculous. I think that is right. I think that was their last Copa and, America they lost. Mm-hmm. And this team, it doesn't have that many superstars, ironically enough. It's just a lot of solid players from like Emmy Martinez as well in goal. Yeah, it just gets in like, your head in those PKs. Yeah, Rodrigo DePaul, but, players mm-hmm. like that. Like they just have like just good, solid players that just kind of get a shift in and just know what they're doing. And they got that like high press going, which I love. <laughs> so, yeah. but I mean, I, I think the the main favorites besides Argentina they're not. I think Argentina is not even like top five in like the World Cup rankings or whatever. I don't really trust the World Cup rankings too much because Belgium kind of cheeses it by facing bad teams. Yeah. <laughs> but well, Brazil are now I the think new Brazil, number one. Yeah, Brazil yeah, Brazil's is now number, number one. one. France is up there. Belgium's, of course, is up there. I think and Argentina I is think, in the top five. Oh, they are. Oh, nice. I think they have well, to be. That'd be that'd be op. But I think <laughs> Belgium is going to kind of. I don't see him going too far, but I'm I'm scared of Brazil and France. I will say, really. But the thing about Brazil is just like they're usually good. They're, they're like the Real Madrid of the World Cup. They're always there, and they always do like because I think they're the only country that's never not qualified. And also, um, they have one of the most World Cups. So it's just it's. I mean, usually it's one of their competitions. It's just the chemistry right now. It's like I don't know. It's it's been kind of a, a weird kind of change. Yeah, but it's like I can't really tell who the leader is besides maybe Neymar. But I mean, Neymar hasn't really been too much of a leader recently. I feel like yeah. at, even at PSG, so yeah. it's like who knows. But France, France, they basically got the same squad as last time. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of do well. But I mean, that's just kind of our quick kind of two early predictions right now. But I guess also, Yosh, while we're kind of looking at this, who would you think is like? the dark horse for like this whole competition? Like, is there like a random country where it's like, oh, they have a superstar or they have a set group where it's like, they kind of surprise you to even make it into the world cup. And you think they might kind of make it a little further in the knockout stages than you think, or even to the knockout stages. 
Yeah, I think um, this might be a, this is probably going to be everyone's popular dark horse pick, but I think it's Canada. Um, they they were like really good in Concacaf qualifying. I, mean, I think at one point they were undefeated in six games. Like they 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 won against the unit U.S. men's national team against against Mexico, um, and this was like. I think they've won like their last four games with Alfonso Davies because he had like a heart condition, so he wasn't even able to play. But they have really good players. I mean, they have Kyle Lahren. They have um, obviously Alfonso Davies. They have Jonathan David um, as a striker. They have Tejan Buchanan. Um, they just have really good players and their ability to kind of just play as a team and just be well-coordinated, I think, is a big thing. I think we see in the World Cup and even international tournaments when you have good team spirit and chemistry, that would kind of oftentimes take you further than maybe a team that has a ton of star power and talent because at the end of the day like when it's you know 90 plus minutes in or you're an extra time about to go to penalties it's the team spirit that kind of keeps you going and not you know the the name on the back of your jersey so I, I would say Canada even though that's probably a really popular dark horse pick for most people yeah I and mean, we even saw that last world cup with Croatia making it into the final yeah it's like what the heck <laughs> yeah, so a dark like horse they, able to get all the way they can through. do it but, yeah, but I mean, you. they don't have a Luka Modric. Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say Spain. <laughs> I mean, that, like, hey, they I mean underperformed. That, that is true. Like, they have underperformed. I would say their Euros, they did pretty well. Like, the recent Euros. But, like, yeah, Euro 2016, World Cup 2018, World Cup 2014. Mm-hmm. They just haven't really been at the peak of their powers. Yeah. And I feel like this squad now is so young. Yeah. Like, the stars Edry, I can Gavi. think of right now are those Barcelona players. Yeah. So I kind of want to see how they do. And, you know, I always kind of root for Japan. They got Minamino. They got my boy. But they're they're in the same group of Spain and Germany. So I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think um, it's very interesting. I think a lot of, a lot of teams, I, I think like Spain specifically, Spain and Germany, like they're kind of lacking like a, a true striker. They're kind of just playing mm-hmm. a bunch of false nines. Like I know Spain have Morata, but he's not been the most consistent of players. So it'll be interesting to see what teams kind of do, like especially like Spain and Germany, who they kind of rotate up top, whether it's like Ferran Werner for Germany. Um, but I mean, like, you know, Werner's not been, he's definitely, yeah, he's, been, yeah, he's kind of stalled out his career a bit. Morata-esque. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. So, it, you know, it's very interesting to see like what teams kind of do when they're, when they don't have a star striker per se. Oftentimes that's when they get like really unique and try to like, put people in false nine positions or just kind of bring up a random striker that ends up like being really well in the world cup who knows but i think spain is a pretty good shot for dark horse because i don't think i don't think many people are penciling in spain to be world cup winners but also they're not penciling in spain to be the worst team in the tournament you know it's kind of like middle of the road true they are very middle of the road and i'll i'll also say as a as a close second i was looking at senegal that's because they're in an easy group winners yeah yeah, and they're AFCON wingers, so it's just like... Mane, Mendy, they, like, just two stalwarts to carry them through. Koulibaly in the back. Yeah. It's, you never know. We don't really see too many African teams make it too far. Besides, yeah, like, Ghana, the main team Ghana in made 2010. It and Suarez yeah. <laughs> back in the same group. And Group H, Ghana and Uruguay in the same group. Yeah, that's... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I guess that leads to the next question, like, the... Uh, I guess the group of death. I think we were... I think a lot of people were discussing... Like, I, I, we feel like generally speaking all the groups here are pretty balanced for like the first time in a while there's not one group that's just really easy but there's also not one group that's really hard i think the hardest one probably objectively looking is probably group h because you have 
uh, South Korea, you have Uruguay, you have Ghana, and you have Portugal. Obviously, Portugal with Ronaldo, Ghana can, like we said before, can kind of be like that dark horse team from Africa that just tends to do really well in the in the World Cup. Uruguay, Cavani, Suarez, they always do pretty well in World Cups. And then um, South Korea, like they have Hyun Min Sun. They have solid players all the time, and they can kind of make a shock here or there. So I feel like that's probably, for me at least, the, probably the most challenging group. But then again, mm-hmm. looking at it from other World Cups, you wouldn't say like, oh my gosh, that's a group of death per se. Yeah. Like there's not like three superstar teams. It's not like. Yeah. It's not like Germany, Portugal. Like, yeah. Like a Germany, Portugal, Spain. Spain. Yeah. yeah something, something like that. that. Whereas this group, I feel like group H is the group of death, quote unquote, just because it's almost like anyone can get out of the group. Yeah. It's like. They're balanced, like they each have their own strengths and kind of weaknesses that they that can be exploited to where another team might, you know, get the upper hand and, you know, get the win. Because, like, you even saw in the last World Cup, you saw like Germany didn't even make it out. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you never know what happens on the big stage. And unfortunately, like, you never, you never know, too. Some players from now until the World Cup, there might be a big injury or maybe a new superstar pops up. In between mm-hmm. there's still a lot of time between now and the world cup but just right now just looking at it it just looks like group h is the most up in the air and ronaldo this i think this is the last world cup yeah probably so. for messi as well messi and ronaldo final world cup oh final my gosh dance. we'll cry yeah big 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 <laughs> stuff there like yeah it's very it's almost yeah it's pretty much like i would say like probably their last world cup but um yeah, like as we said, there's not really a group of death, but I guess last thing here is probably um, probably the last question is like who has like the earliest exit? I would probably say um, historically speaking... That's like a big, yeah, a big team that's going to get an early exit. Yeah. yeah, historically speaking, like the previous World Cup winners tend to do pretty bad the next, the following year. Um, I would say France, I feel like are a bit different just because they have... Um, they have Mbappe. They just have certain players that I feel like will just kind of carry them through, even if they are playing like pretty poorly, generally speaking. Um, but I will say a team that could have an early exit, unfortunately, is probably Portugal because Portugal at times can look a bit, um, I would say, a bit mad at times, but they can also look really good. It just all depends on like what um, what the manager, I know like a lot of Portuguese fans are not really too fond of the manager they have right now in their national team, but mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if like how, how far they can go. But I would say that they're probably my bet to be like an early exit. If you had to pick one, a shock. Yeah, their manager is old. Yeah. Is it the same one that has like a cane now? <laughs> yeah, essentially. But his. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know a lot of uh, Portugal fans are just not very happy with his tactics and everything. Their team is so stacked. It's just. They can't get it together. Yeah. <laughs> it's like something's wrong. They, they need to be scoring more goals than they do. Mm-hmm. So that's a good shout. Portugal or France. But France, I feel like they'll get out of their group. Like that. It's somewhat on the lower end, I would say. It's not yeah. easy, but I wouldn't say it's incredibly hard. But I don't know. I'm always on the train where it's like, I don't really trust Belgium. <laughs> Belgium, that's I feel fair. like, is always on the same track as Portugal, where it's like they have so many superstars. But on top of that, this time, most of their superstars are kind of on the, you know, other end of 28. Like yeah. they kind of their golden era is kind of going down and they're in a group with Canada and Croatia, even though Croatia's kind of golden era is also on the same. So like we never know. Yeah. But I mean, like 
those star players for Belgium. Eden Hazard. He's kind of had his uh, fat face <laughs> at yeah. Real Madrid. And then Lukaku's kind of struggling to get the minutes. And then, you know, Courtois is still there. He's still doing well. But it's just like also that back line, that notable back line of like Bertongen, Adorayold, like company. Like they're not there anymore. If, and if they yeah. are there, they're like, you know, on the closer to like 34, 35. So yeah, that's really very true. Like, pretty much like most of their team is like in their 30s or hitting their 30s right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say Belgium, unless Divacaridi turns up, if he's even going. I don't know if he's going to. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if he gets brought up. Yeah. He's a super sub. I mean, that that's true. I don't. That'll be interesting to see who they pick or like if he comes up. But I, I think Belgium is a good shout. I think that is a good thing to kind of keep note of is that their golden generation per se is pretty much all hitting 30 or have hit 30 and just kind of, I guess, on the decline per se. Yeah. For, the golden for boys are now golden old men. Yeah. So, in <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and athletes' terms, yeah. that being said, 30, exactly. 30 is not old. It's just yeah. in soccer, it is, unfortunately. Yeah, it's usually when the, when the skills start to dwindle. But yeah, I mean, I yeah. think that's a good shout. I got Portugal, and then you got Belgium as kind of like shock early exits, which could definitely happen. Um, but the World Cup is I'm the World Cup for, for a Cup. reason because I'm so hyped. Yeah, because shocks happen and anything could happen. I mean, that's the beauty of the World Cup. Anything could happen. But yeah, that was pretty much all we had to talk about for like the for like the last topic with World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be exciting. We're pretty pumped about it, um, and yeah, we're we're excited to see what the World Cup happens. But yeah, that kind of wraps up um, season four, episode one thirty eight. As we always say, you can follow us on at the Premier Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also um, watch the video versions of this podcast. Hopefully, the video version is working this week. If not, we'll figure out another solution for it or figure out something to do, but you can follow us at the premier pod on YouTube, subscribe to us there. Um, and if you do listen to this uh, show on Apple podcasts, uh, please be sure to leave a rating and review. It helps us get bumped up um, and other people to visibly see the podcast. But if not, if you just want to share it with a friend, that's more than welcome. We appreciate any of the support or any help we get um, in any way we get it. So thanks again for listening to season four, episode 138 of the premier pod Thanks again. Peace. Peace.